0: Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Mexico, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Here we go again. Oh, yes, lots of stuff going on. And I'm going to bring you today. Oh, it's part of what I brought you over a year ago when the Ukraine mess started. The history of Ukraine. You really need to know the background. And why is that? because it's going to affect the price of food. President Cadaver has sent 3,000 American troops or is in the process of sending them over. Logistical troops, folks. Those are the folks who pave the way for big numbers of troops later. They're the ground force. They're the logistics personnel. So you can look forward to more American troops over there sometime in the near future. And then I'm going to give you the rest of the story, because it's been a developing story since this mess over there started, by the way, precipitated by the acts and lack of acts of the United States, as you will see. And then we're going to have a little bit more on the Chinese Silk Road Initiative. I'm going to bring you little tidbits every week on that, because <laughs> it is globe-changing. And anything that is globe-changing is... Is going to change your life in some way shape or form and then I'm gonna bring you a big rat-a-tat-tat a little bit of rat-a-tat-tat stories and a little bit of rat-a-tat-tat headlines as always you can find them the full articles the details the sorted details in some cases you can find them on the website on the right first let's start off with our founders quote And given the amount of money we're wasting around the globe, interfering in everybody else's business and watching the dollar cave because of it and the $150 billion and climbing that we have basically disappeared into the corrupt abyss that Ukraine always was, that we knew, but now that we have learned is even more so. And of course, in the vortex, and we're going to talk about this, is Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the Biden crime cabal. Well, you'll see what I'm talking about. This is Thomas Jefferson, July 21st, 1816. I, however, place economy among the first and most important Republican virtues and public debt as the greatest of the dangers to be feared, unquote. What do you think old Tom would be thinking about $34 trillion in debt and growing? And how about our rant story this week? You get a kick out of this. So I gave you last week a little bit about what was happening with the baling and the swathing and the weather and the contractors and the machines and et cetera, et cetera. Here's the rest of that story for you. We got everything cut. We got everything raked. We got everything baled. We even have been loading bales to buyers of hay on their trailers right off the field, which is great. We have other bales staged for buyers that will be coming in later who have already ordered their hay, and we are moving yet more bales to our stackyard. We even have the pivot back on. That field is clear of bales, and water is going for a hope for, you never know, second cutting. And we have water going on several of the grass fields, where there's still plenty to at least get them wet and grow some fall forage for pasture when the winter months come. But the real story here is that I put off, as did many others, time and time and time again this year, cutting the hay the weather was uncertain, the ground was too wet, all sorts of things. And lots of things can adversely affect hay and therefore adversely affect hay value and nutritional content for critters that it's getting fed to. And I decided to pull the trigger. Of course, I ran into all the problems that you heard about last week, but I decided to pull the trigger about a week ago. It looked like kind of there might be a window here where we actually had five six seven days of sunshine relatively dry weather hopefully no rain a little window between the monsoon that always starts coming out of the gulf of mexico and carried aloft in mid-july and goes to the first of august and the really incredible precipitation that the rocky mountains have had basically since last november and continuing all the way through the spring so i pressed the trigger held my breath cut the entire ranch. I mean, I've never done that before. That is a big exposure when you have acres and acres and acres and acres of hay down, and you are at the whim of the weather, and the vagaries of other folks who are going to show up, not show up, do the right thing or not do the right thing. Well, in the end, this all paid off. So I am simply going to say that the moral of this ranch story is that fortune favors the bold. All right, how about a little history of Ukraine? And don't get the impression I don't think Putin is a tyrant, but calling Putin a tyrant and watching his bloodthirsty and amoral acts over there against civilians, Ukrainian civilians, is not the whole story. There is much more going on. Let's go back in history. It's always been the crossroads of East and West. Ukraine has historically swayed from one side to the other, sometimes switching sides in the middle of a big conflict. In the 900s, Kiev was actually more powerful than Russia. Russia never forgot that. Kiev was also independent for a brief time in the 1600s. Ukraine has not been independent since then until about 1991 with the fall of the Soviet Union. In 1954, Karakstan gave Crimea to Ukraine. In 1991, Crimea actually joined Ukraine. Sevastopol has always been a major and critical Russian naval base that is located in Crimea. That's from 1854. In 1929, a gentleman by the name of Stefan Bandura kind of raised the Nazi, the extreme Ukrainian nationalist parties, to their feet. He believed in a pure Ukrainian race. He was responsible, along with a number of others who thought like him, and through several different parties for the extermination of 200 to 250,000 Jews and Poles in World War II. Ukraine was originally on the side of Nazi Germany. And then, when the tides turned and the Russian army began to retreat from Stalingrad, Ukraine switched sides. Except, not all of Ukraine switched sides. The last of the mop-up by the Russians of the holdouts, the Nazi sympathizers, was not completed until about the mid-1950s, believe it or not. In the mid-80s, several things occurred. If you remember, there was a Korean airline that was downed by a Russian fighter over Russian airspace. NATO reacted with vehemence. They had a 10-day huge military operation called Able Archer, and they used it as the context to bring Pershing nuclear-tipped missiles into Europe and into the NATO alliance. You'll see this play out again, by the way, in more recent times. You know, history always repeats if you let it. In 1991, the USSR dissolved after a number of years of what was called perestroika under Gorbachev. And at that time, that's what began the corruption in Ukraine. The rise of the oligarchs, the stratification of society, and the discontent of the Ukrainian people despite their love of their country, Ukraine. In 1999, NATO expanded to include some of these Eastern European bloc countries that had divorced from the USSR. That included Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Hungary. Putin, by the way, who had risen to power, was becoming more and more obsessed with Russian nationalism and more and more pissed off at NATO and the United States. NGOs at that time began to infiltrate Ukrainian politics, included NGOs funded by George Soros, our buddy, and other globalists, and, shall we say, certain USA agencies. The media in Ukraine rose, a number of television stations and radio stations, all funded by these NGOs and British and United States money. Putin gave a speech in Crimea shortly after Crimea annexed itself back to Russia. We'll get into that in a moment. And let me give you a quote from that speech. Quote, "...push a spring too much, it will snap back hard." Unquote. Remember that. There were elections. A pro-Russia guy was elected in Ukraine. That resulted in the 2004 fomented Orange Revolution. Hundreds of thousands of folks in the streets in Kiev and elsewhere. There were new elections. A Western guy by the name of Yushchenko, who happened to be married to an American from the Reagan White House... He was elected. He failed at so-called democratic reforms. Ukrainians were getting more and more upset at this failure, unrest, continuing and increasing corruption. In 2008, Georgia, one of the breakoff states from the USSR, and Ukraine said they were going to join NATO. Putin, getting more and more upset as time went on, immediately invaded Georgia. The West doesn't do a thing. They don't make a peep. Neither does the media. The same as this Chechen invasion several years prior by Russia. Russia is getting taught a lesson, and it's not a good one for the West. In 2008, Obama, a globalist, is elected in the United States. In 2012, he is thoroughly pissing off Putin once again because the CIA through the National Alliance of Students, you'll hear that name again, is fomenting unrest in the Russian streets. Another fomented revolution. The 2014 Maidan Revolution. And in the course of this, it began really in 2013 very peacefully. It became increasingly violent. Suddenly, on February 23rd through 24th of 2014, it was carnage. Scores of police killed and injured A hundred demonstrators, who the press made out to be very peaceful, but videos say otherwise, now called the Heavenly 100, were killed. It was all blamed on the government and the police, but that's not true if you watch the videos. It was fomented by these Nazi sympathizer parties, which included three primary parties. Czechoslovakia, the Trizub or Trident Party. And the right sector, their flag, by the way, is black and red. Red for blood and black for land. As an interesting sidelight, because there are no coincidences, folks, are there? What day did Putin invade Ukraine? Oh, February 24th in 2022. Do you think there's any symbolism or correlation in Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the events that I just described to you? You think it's just a coincidence it was the exact same? date? Crimea, nervous about this ultra-national influence, wants to succeed from Ukraine. They're nervous. And although the press portrayed it as a Russian invasion, a taking of Crimea, it was actually an election. Sure, there were Russian boots on the ground, must have had a dampening effect, but the vote was 96.77% for Crimea to go to Russia because they were scared of what was going on in Ukraine. Gee, the press didn't tell you that, did they? Then the eastern provinces in April, the Donetsk provinces, they erupt. In the 1930s, Stalin induced a famine which wiped out most of the Ukrainian population in that really fertile area of Ukraine. And he replaced them with Russian-speaking people, you know, kind of like millions of Americans dying from drug overdoses, covid jabs, what have you, and then two million people flooding across the southern border. Gee, where have we seen all this before? Ukraine is wholly divided between the west and the east, between the Russian-speaking and the Ukrainian-speaking. And these promises erupt. The Ukrainian military is sent in. Bad move. And it erupts into really an ongoing quasi-war in those provinces Russia recognizes those two provinces when he invades Ukraine basically on the anniversary date of the Maidan revolution the American cast of characters during all this upheaval this increasing corruption this really separation of various components of of Ukraine into various factions and over to Russia etc are names you're going to recognize John McCain, he told the Ukrainian people that, you know, the United States is behind him. How about a guy by the name of Pyatt, look him up, the U.S. ambassador appointed by Obama. And then Victoria Nuland, you know, remember her name? Oh yeah, worked for uh, Hillary at the Secretary of State, then was her chief of staff, helped her got to get rid of all those emails, and then was pardoned by Comey and Obama. Oh, nice. By the way, she funneled about $6 billion to the proper hands in Ukraine through what was called the National Endowment for Democracy, <laughs> which controls business or funds, media, business, education, and trains activists, and another billion or so through what was called that same outfit I told you about before, which was the National Alliance of Students. This was called the Rose Revolution, you know, another color Revolution. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? Then we have <laughs> we have Odessa, the largest seaport on the Black Sea. They erupt on May 2nd, 2014. And the trade building is burned, we find out later, by the same nationalist factions that were involved in Maidan, with all the protesters wanting to see some independence or go to Russia by the Odessa area. It's burned with many of those people inside. Then on July 17, 2014, the Malaysian airline, 298 people killed, is downed by missiles. It's all blamed on Russia by who else but Obama. And it begins to give impetus to the joining of Ukraine to NATO, pissing off Vladimir Putin. And a subsequent study pretty much proved that the missile did not launch from the Ukrainian-Russian border. It launched from the center of Ukraine, and the missile itself was a missile of the type that the Russians no longer used. I'll let you put two and two together. You know, two plus two is four. Water runs downhill. That's the way it is in Wyoming. That's the way it is around the planet. Although, (laughs) you're not supposed to believe your lion eyes, folks. No, 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 no. Then we have, we'll flash forward a year or two the election of Zelensky. And that brings us to the rest of the story, which is going to make you think, it's going to make you question, and hopefully it's going to make you act of this mind-numbing story, as Paul Harvey would say. So, Cuba is 1,164 miles from Washington, D.C. Sevastopol in the Crimea is only 760 miles from Moscow. Ukraine has been the center of international money laundering, for a lot of globalist-type folks. The sons and relatives of Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden, you're well aware of Hunter, the crackhead, they are all sitting on the boards of Ukrainian companies, mostly gas and oil companies. And Ukraine happens to get $2 billion a year from Russia as rent for the land through which Russian pipelines flow to Europe. Particularly, by the way, the first pipeline to be installed all the way to Germany approved by Obama, and the second pipeline approved on his first day in office, and granting the Russians a waiver to build it by Biden, our own President Cadaver, Obama's third term. And then, of course, blown up by Biden. Over in Russia, whatever you may think of Putin, and he deserves whatever nasty thoughts you have, Putin has raised over a decade or so previous to this. Educational standards by multiples. Household income of Russians by up to 10x. Crime is way down. In fact, murders are down by 80% in Russia. He's reinstituted religion. He's building thousands of churches or restoring thousands of churches that were destroyed by the communist regimes prior to him. Do you remember Genghis Khan, my historical story Benevolent to those who are with you, radical and ruthless, bloodthirsty to those against you. Zelensky. Zelensky was a comedian on a big TV station, in a big TV sitcom, funded partially by the United States, partially by Britain, and partially by the Endowment for Democracy. His role in that sitcom was to play president of Ukraine. You know, it was kind of the West Wing of Ukraine, so to speak. He runs for office. He's elected by 73% plus of the Ukrainian electorate. And i uh, give the devil his due. I mean, the guy is uh, standing up right now. But that doesn't change the rest of the story. Zelensky, you know, Schwab, the World Economic Forum, All One, Kumbaya, you won't own anything and you'll be happy, that guy. Well, he has this institute. And it trains young global leaders. It's actually called the Young Global Leaders Training Institute. The graduates of the Young Global Leaders Training Institute include such names as Macron from France, Trudeau, you know Trudy up there in Canada, the gal that is the witch of New Zealand, the Prime Minister of Australia, Boris in the UK, and yes, Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine. And now for the rest of the story on Ukraine. What have we learned in the year plus since I put this historical piece together for you? Number one, we've learned that Ukraine is as corrupt as it's always been. Number two, we've learned that Zelensky is a little tyrant, literally snatching young men and old men up to the age of 65 off the street to become meat in the front line grinder that is the Ukraine-Russian front. We've learned that he can tolerate no criticism, that he's not really partial to democratic elections, even though this is a fight for democracy, you know, and that if you dare speak out against his plans or him, well, you're likely to be disappeared. He developed a hit list, not only of Ukrainians, press, etc., but around the world, including Americans that needed to be silenced at all costs. And somehow the FBI and some of the other alphabet agencies has worked with him to censor these people on Twitter and Facebook and other social media. Seems to me there's a violation of some federal laws of all different types in there, not to mention maybe the word treason. And we have found out that the corruption within Ukraine that embroiled, should we say embroiled to his heart's delight, Hunter and Joe Biden, it seems that there was a $5 million bribe, one one of many bribes paid to Joe Biden. He got paid $5 million to get rid of the prosecutor that was investigating Barisma, where his son Hunter was getting 50000 100000 whatever it was, per month for being a figurehead board member, doesn't know anything about oil, as he has admitted on national TV. And it seems that Hunter was uh, getting some other money besides the, the director stipends also. And it seems that Joe, remember that famous video where he goes, yeah, and I told him they wouldn't get the billion dollars unless that prosecutor was fired in six hours and, SOB they fired him. Remember that video? Well, it seems that that 5 million that Joe got came from Burisma to get that prosecutor fired. And it seems that the globalists are all in on this war all of a sudden. Anywhere from Janet Yellen over there saying this is like God's mission to save Ukraine to you know Lindsey Graham and Blumenthal from Connecticut. Oh my god. And it seems that we're depleting our military reserves because Gee, Cadaver slipped up there at a press conference and said, well, our ammunition is depleted because of what we're sending to Ukraine. You know, kind of just blabbed out a military secret. That no problem. Not in today's world. I mean, everything is peace, love, dove, safe and sound. And it also seems like we don't give quite enough stuff for Ukraine to win, if it could. We've delayed F-16s, which now seem to be going this fall to further escalate tensions for a year. All sorts of other specially type munitions. For many, many months. We delayed tanks, Abram tanks, for like six months. I mean, the United States Army is fully capable of moving an Abram tank to anywhere on the planet in about three days. But we couldn't get them to Ukraine because, you know, the supply line stuff for six months. It seems to me that the globalists, both within the United States government and around the world, want this war to drag on forever and ever and ever. They would be delighted, and so would the military-industrial complex supplying all the goodies to wage this war. And who do you think owns stock in all those big companies, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, you know the list. That's right, anywhere from, as I research it, 5 or 6% up to 12 or 13% Our buddies at BlackRock. Hmm, I bet you BlackRock would like to see this war over tomorrow. What do you think? Ah, but there's more to the sordid story, the rest of the sordid story in Ukraine. So, as a little background, Turkey, a NATO country, had long resisted bringing in new NATO members, including Sweden. And Turkey had maintained pretty good relations with Russia. It was kind of Russia's in to NATO. It was also a communication conduit, a communication funnel, if you will, if NATO wanted to communicate with Russia. And Russia kind of relied on Turkey as at least a quasi-ally, at least tied by common economic interests, because Russia was feeding gas through Turkey's pipelines to Europe and etc. Oh, what about those sanctions? There was also Russian and Turkey military cooperation, and on several other fronts also, including shipping across sea lanes and using using Turkish ports. And one of the things that Turkey was doing was taking all the grain that Russia had agreed on a year-by-year basis to supply, despite sanctions, despite the war, etc. Remember, I've told you in the past, and you probably know that Ukraine supplied, I'm giving you a round number, twenty percent of the world's grain. Well that's kinda of done deal right now with the mess that's going on. And Russia agreed to step into the gap because most of that grain in Turkey was going to poor and developing nations, who are friends of Russia and China in oh yes, the BRICS countries, and in China's Silk and Road Initiative, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Well, it appears that Turkey and Russia have fallen out because Turkey voted to admit Sweden to NATO. Turkey also voted to extend the NATO umbrella of protection over Ukraine. This kind of pissed off Russia, as you could well imagine. And Russia, just a few days ago, canceled their annual grain supply agreement, which, by the way, folks, is going to raise the price of bread and anything made with grains on your table by a lot. Let me underline that, by a lot. And to go one step further, Russia, in retaliation for the Ukrainian attack On the Crimea Bridge which they said was a red line which was spearheaded by a British (laughs) mini submersible remotely controlled kind of submarine bomb. Russia bombed the living bejesus out of Odessa which is the port from which all the grain was shipped under this world grain supply deal that Russia was doing. This is all in the last week. This has greatly heightened the tensions which are building literally day by day over there and additionally Maybe most importantly, it's cut off that communication link between NATO and Russia, and has made Russia feel even more isolated. You know, desperate countries do desperate things just like desperate people do desperate things. And this particular desperate country has a thousand or more tactical nuclear warheads, and more than 5,000 strategic nuclear warheads. You know, it's a bear you might want to just stop poking for a bit. What do you think? And as a last, the rest of the story, or the rest of the sordid story in the case of Ukraine... Turkey has tried to broker Erdogan, the president who was just reelected, has tried to broker peace deals between Russia and Ukraine, only to be shot down by NATO and leading the shoot-down pack? Oh yes, President Kadavra and his great foreign policy crew, <laughs> who live in the fairytale land of America's past, sole role as superpower in the global world, which is upside-down, topsy-turvy, and bubbling about to boil. And it ties right into Ukraine, and it ties right into the BRICS, and it ties right into the new currency. So let's talk some more, because I'm going to bring you updates every week, on China's brilliant Silk Road Initiative, which spans the globe, if you've been listening to the past shows. And if you haven't, you should be, particularly the history of the Silk Road. I think it was three or four weeks ago, on therightsideradio.com. So in addition to all the other things that China is doing that I've told you about, financially, infrastructure, The belt, which is overland infrastructure improvements, and the road, which is maritime infrastructure improvements. Let me tell you some of the other little goodies they have going just in the past 12 to 24 months. The Bangladesh, China, India, Myanmar Economic Corridor, the BCIM, which is going to run from southern China to Myanmar. And it's officially classified as, quote-unquote, closely related to the Belt and Road Initiative, unquote. Yeah, it is the Belt and Road Initiative. It is running into a slight problem, though, due to India's refusal to participate in the Belt and Road Initiative. India is a wise country over there, and they're playing it right down the middle. You know, a little bit hello to the West, and a little bit hello to China, and a little bit hello to Russia. India's pretty smart. And then we have the Brenner Base Tunnel, B-R-E-N-N-E-R. That's going to link, now listen to this, the Upper Adriatic with Southern Germany. Oh, there's our good friends in Europe again. The Port of Trieste, I've told you all about that major project of the Silk Road Initiative by China. It's really the only deep water port in the central Mediterranean for container ships of what's called the 7th Generation. Huge container ships. It's a special target for Chinese investments. I told you quite a bit about this several weeks ago. In March 2019, the China Communications Construction Company, CCCC, signed agreements not only to promote the ports of Trieste and Genoa, but also to increase the handling capacity of those ports from 10,000, now listen to this, to 25,000 trains in Trieste, it's called the Trihub Project, and there'll be a reciprocal platform to promote and handle trade between Europe and China. oh there's our European friends again. It also kind of strengthens by tenfold the logistics between the North Adriatic ports and Shanghai and Guangdong. And this includes a state Hungarian investment of 100 million euros for a logistics center and a European union, there's our friends the Europeans, of 45 million euros, which they put in in 2020. And that was to develop the railway system going into this port, which is basically expanding its capacity by 150%. This whole area is called, by the way, the Blue Banana and the Golden Banana areas. You think the Chinese are serious about these folks? They're real serious. And you know, they are delighting in the fact that their main competitor in the world, the one country they have to kind of remove from superpower status to achieve their own, is the United States, who is totally unserious about everything, including the military, and we're going to talk about that in the Rat-A-Tat-Tat, which is coming up right now. Here we go. It seems that Evanston, Illinois, you know, our old friend Reparations, it's running rampant around the country and in the halls of Congress. I have brought you these stories. (laughs) Here's some more, because this cancer is spreading, folks. The Wall Street Journal reported, I think it was two Mondays ago, Evanston, Illinois, is that they're going to award 140 black residents in that town $25,000 cash by the end of the year. Hmm. This is a town, by the way, of only 75,000 residents. They happen to have approved by vote, boy, we have to think about this for a moment, $10 million in reparations back then to be doled out over 10 years. According to the Evanston Roundtable, the local paper, 16 of these lucky $25,000 recipients have already been chosen and have received the money. And by the way, to qualify, you have to be 18 years old and to have lived in the city between 1919 and 1969 and be black. Supposedly, this money isn't coming from the taxpayers. It's coming from marijuana and real estate transfer taxes. Last time I checked, the taxes on marijuana if you happen to be into that stuff. And the transfer taxes on real estate come from the taxpayers. Hmm. Could they be, like, trying to pull the wool over our eyes? Oh, but I'm not done. There's more reparations goodies for you. You know that California Reparations Task Force that recommended $1.2 million per black resident in California? $800 billion, give or take dollars. I mean, who cares? Well, now they think that's probably not enough. So activists backing this reparations panel, they're now demanding higher payments. Listen to this. 200000000 million. I'm not making this up. $200 million per person. $200 million per person. And here's how they uh, justify this. There's an activist by the name of Reverend Tony Pierce. I quote, You know that the numbers should be equivocal to what an acre was back then. We were given 40, okay? We were given 40 acres. You know what that number is? You keep trying to talk about now, yet you research back to slavery, and you say nothing about slavery. Nothing. So the equivocal number from the 1860s for 40 acres today is $200 million for each and every African American, By the way, the same California Reparations Task Force has now gone one step further. You'd now just get all this money and all these goodies, but you are supposed to be given priority in all renting and buying of real estate. In fact, they've demanded that a state agency be set up to have, listen to this, folks, veto power over real estate decisions by owners, quote, to lessen racial segregation, unquote. Okay. And Gavin Newsom really thinks he's, he has a snowball's chance of being president? Okay, whatever. But it's not just California and Illinois, the Looney Bins. Um, here's more from some towns in those Looney Bin states Oakland teachers, Oakland, California, went on strike. They would only return to class in exchange for a black reparations task force being set up by the city of Oakland. In doing this, they left 34,000 students without instruction for two weeks. And in the end, they struck a deal to, of course, raise their salaries and at the same time help homeless black students and create the reparations task force. Aren't they just goody-two-shoes? That teacher's union is just the best thing since sliced bread. And, of course, we know about the squad up there in Congress demanding $14 trillion. I'm not sure that would even cover that $200 million per person. That $14 trillion in federal reparations for all descendants of slaves. By the way, as a backdrop to this, put aside the reparations. According to their own estimates, think about the conflict here between all these concepts according to their own estimates the feds are going to spend roughly 60 trillion dollars over the next 10 years but according to those estimates done by the feds they're only going to get 40 trillion in tax revenue Uh oh do i hear a tax increase coming that leaves a gap folks of 2 trillion a year or 20 trillion total which would bring our debt ceiling, which is a joke, to around $50 trillion 10 years from now. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? And you know, part of all that debt is uh, advances and goodies for the super wealthy, super well-connected, and the super donors to the Democratic Party. It's unfortunately indicative of a growing propensity to put private property of the well-connected or private profit of the well-connected over public expense. You know, private profit, public risk. And all you have to do is look at Silicon Valley Bank, where everybody who had over 250000 even though that's the FDIC limit in the law, was bailed out, including some folks for $40, $50 million, who happened to be high-tech folks, well-connected to the Democratic Party, in fact, well-connected to Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and big, Donors to the Dems. Hmm, must have been a coincidence. Let's talk about the military a little bit because that's a mess. So there was a Pentagon investigation, this is oh, about two months ago, and it found that the superintendent of the US Naval Academy, he made false statements to officials as a part of a plan, a actual plan that he had to kick out a midshipman over the midshipman's controversial political tweets and beliefs, in other words, a conservative. The report, by the way, which just got out a few weeks ago, was dated September 2022, and it was obtained by our buddies at Judicial Watch. They rock, guys. Give them some money. Judicialwatch.org. And this was over a midshipman by the name of Chase Standage, who was then 21 years old. Quote, The documents show how Pentagon leaders led a vice-admiral and the head of the U.S. Naval Academy off the hook for knowingly making false statements to justify his recommendations to end the career of a young midshipman over tweets. I continue. And it is disturbing that it took a federal FOIA lawsuit to uncover how this senior officer made a series of false statements as part of his unusual effort to target and destroy this midshipman, unquote. By the way, at the same time, the the Academy turned a blind eye to yet another midshipman and a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, who put a Communist Party quote on his military cap. Not a word was said. Nothing happened. The uh, corrupt vice-admiral, the woke vice-admiral, his name is Buck, by the way, shall we hope that he's aided in a speedy retirement. And then as part of this, you'll, you'll see a theme here in this military stuff I'm bringing you. So there was a hearing in the House, and this was several months ago. I've been meaning to bring it to you. The Abbey Gate explosion where we lost 13 servicemen in Afghanistan in that horrific, botched, incredibly embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan. It seems that there was a Marine Sergeant, Tyler Andrews. He was a sniper, a Marine sniper, badly wounded in the explosion, by the way. And his sniper team had identified the suicide bomber who then killed 13 American servicemen. And Sergeant Vegas has testified to Congress that his team did not shoot the terrorists despite knowing who he was, despite knowing what he was going to do, because his command seemed unsure of who held the authority for approval for engagement. Quote, this is Vargas testifying, quote, no one was held accountable, no one was, and no one is to this day. Unquote. And let me bring you kind of a final military rat-a-tat-tat. There's a general by the name of Charles Q. Brown Jr. happens to be a black general. He's President Biden's choice to lead the Joint Chiefs of Staff after Comrade Milley steps down, I'm sure, to consult for China. And about two weeks ago, he had a hearing in front of the Senate, and the Senate Republicans, they were on it. Brown sought to highlight his extensive experience leading men in combat. Uh, A slight exaggeration, but we won't go there. But there's lots of evidence that this general, like a whole lot of other command officers, is way too focused on social issues at the expense of national security. He was the former head of the Air Force, by the way, who went to great effort to promote diversity in the Air Force Academy. And he justifies that by saying, well, this is good because it expands the pool of people who are entitled to serve. Apparently, in 2020, Brown, while the head of the Air Force Academy, said, quote, there's too many white officers in the military, unquote. And last year, 2022, Brown signed a memo that Congress had setting aspirational diversity goals for Air Force applicants. Brown, of course, tried to worm his way out of it, saying that the goals, they weren't quotas, that the Air Force set under his command, reflected U.S. demographics, and he was not advocating for racial quotas in the military. Oh, no, 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 no. Having them is, in fact, against Pentagon policy, he stammered. And the general pointed to one clause in this memo that made it clear that the military's merit-based personnel system remains firmly in place. I guess that's after you've been chosen through affirmative action that the Supreme Court has struck down, and after you've been chosen because of your race over other applicants, despite the rules of the Air Force that this general is waiving, prohibiting such activities. Do you see a common thread in the 3 rat rat-a-tat-tats I brought you? The American military has a recruiting problem. I think we all know what that's from. The American military has a supply problem because all its supplies are going to Ukraine. You know, corrupt Ukraine that paid millions and millions to the Bidens and seems to be the hill that the Western globalists want to die on, and they may well. And the military is beset by fraud and corruption and overpayment and lack of controls and lack of audit and machines and equipment that don't run because they can't get parts, and they can't get personnel to service them now with a recruiting problem. And they're spread out at 156 bases around the globe. Hmm, I was always taught that in military strategy, you concentrate your forces to fight. Unless you think an outpost of 600 Marines and five attack helicopters and one amphibious ship stuck out in the Pacific is going to stop Red China. Let's hope that Brown is not named head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he will be at least as bad as, and probably worse, than Millie. On the good news side of legislation, the House Republicans have put forth an election integrity bill. I I don't think it goes half far enough, but at least it's a big step in the right direction. Unfortunately, I doubt it will be approved by the Democrat-led Senate, unless there's a lot of pressure put on them. And I, I almost guarantee you it will be vetoed by cadaver. But nonetheless, you have to start somewhere. And this bill would put restrictions on election practices, shall we say, that are questionable at best. It would require states to preserve election materials for 22 months. You know how they were conveniently lost their records when questioned on potential fraud here in this last election and the election before 2020. It would allow states to use federal funds on audits of elections. You remember how states and counties like Maricopa County tried to get out of audits of elections? And it would restrict ballot harvesting. By the way, the Democrats' response to this bill, I'm not sure that this will be a big surprise, but nonetheless, it will make you cock your head to the side and roll your eyes. Basically, they were spewing the narrative that improving the election process can't be good because... Anything that threatens (laughs) the congruity of power and influence as anti-American. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Oh yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Read Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side.